Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pernobis, victoribus nunc et in or Amen. Domine Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Brethren Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. In secula. In secula. This is Timothy Flanders. This is the meaning of Catholic. You're listening to the Terror of Demons morning show. Jesus is King. Joined as always by the author, the one and the only Canadian uh, lumberjack, all things, uh, <laughs> all things beard, Kennedy Hall. <laughs> yeah. Kennedy, how you doing, brother? I'm living the dream. Got the new microphone. I got the radio quality mic set up today. So hopefully that's uh also by the way, Anthony Abate. I was up at four fifteen, not five fifteen. Oh Anthony was uh throwing some shade at uh it's because he watches YouTube all day. He says he has a job, but he watches every single podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he does have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah, how you doing, brother? Mm. I'm doing good, man. Got, I'm doing got- good. You got the coffee straight to the dome, so I do straight straight yeah. to the dome, dude. In the straw, although I'm kind of bummed because this straw is not spectacular. This is just like a normie straw. I don't even know how it got in my house. It's just clear. There's nothing fancy about it. I have colorful straws, but today it's the normie straw, and so I am Man, a little bit bummed out. You are it. such a poser. What a, what a normie! What a normie! <laughs> I am I'm the biggest normie right now. Oh, that, that was like a that was like a. A 1995 insult. Poser. Like nobody says poser anymore. What happened to that word? Everybody's like, I don't know what that even means. <laughs> I don't know any Canadians that say hoser, by the way. Everyone thinks that we say that. I've never met a Canadian who called someone a hoser. Everyone really? says that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I thought I thought all Canadians said that. That's like A. Like they all say A and hoser. We say A. We yeah. do. You, you, you do, you do say, hey, I noticed that when, when we first became friends, Kennedy, you were just I like, text yeah. it. I everything text you it. said, you were just like, uh, hey. I'm going to write a book, eh? I'm gonna, <laughs> are you going to publish that, eh? When I, like, when, I wrote it, when I wrote it in Canadian English, you had to do search and replace A with, with uh, period. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, Kennedy yeah. did write his book in Canadian English, and I didn't. Queen's English. The Queen's which English. is difficult. <laughs> it's, uh, it's difficult because it's, it's different than English English. Oh, yeah. No, it's different, than, it's different than unsophisticated English. <laughs> There's an English English. There's an English yeah. English, and yeah. there's an American English, and then there's an, a Canadian English, which is different than the, of the first two. You're welcome. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I actually, the history, real quick, of why does America not use a U in their, you know, in words like color and all the words you're supposed to use it, it actually wasn't settled amongst English speakers because English was a relatively new language as far as uh, 
an academic language in the 1600s. It was mainly French in the upper courts in England before that. So when America was trying to standardize its English, there was just, uh, I can't remember the fellow's name. I think it was Webster. I think it was the guy who made the dictionary. They just decided to drop it for phonetic reasons because a lot of Americans didn't speak English. So there was a bunch of German speakers, et cetera. So they just made it simpler uh, for a standardized reason. But it wasn't uh, some sort of, uh, it wasn't It wasn't like it was set in stone. There was debate amongst English speakers what you could do. So he just chose the simpler. <laughs> so I never knew this. But like I always, a shop is spelled with two P's and an E. When it's like, that's the shop down there, you know? Yeah. Um, or, or catalog. I didn't know you didn't spell catalog with a U and an E on the end. Axe, you didn't, you don't yeah, spell I, it with I, I used to spell it with a U-E. At yeah. the end. I, I, I looked it up recently. I'm like, it's another one of those uh, Mandela effect things. I'm like, no, I'm like, it has always been UE at the end. I don't know what people yeah, are. I didn't know that, but that's that. technically, yeah, but yeah. that was, it was a, uh, yeah. it's actually smart. It was a phonetic thing that the decision that he made to, for all the school books. So there you go. Now, where was this, where was this, this happening debate taking place? Cause you're like, there was a big debate over it. And I'm like thinking, could they like point over there and say those guys are settling the no. score? <laughs> like those probably dudes. some guys who wrote letters back and forth <laughs> yeah. every six months. And they're like, no, the catalog has a UE, and they're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Going back and know. forth. I think it was yeah, Webster. Who are though. those guys? Kalum <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, has a has a Kalum Kulom. Uh, sorry, Kulom. Saying his name right. Um, points to know Webster as as rather an ideologue. In, in, in education. So he may have been settling be. debates, but he also yes, he was. Uh, basically yeah. was like, this is this is something we're going to, we're going to talk about our English Catholic series with um, our friend, Peter Gimley over at Vonday radio. Cause the Americans are basically English. Like we're, we're English, especially in the beginning in the 13 mm -hmm. colonies, we're just Englishmen who decided to call ourselves American and deny our own culture. And I, I, I hold that's caused problems ever since because of course you we're do. basically denying yeah. we're denying that we're Englishmen no, we're, uh, we're and we're creating a fabricated culture. And uh, in my view, when you do that, bad things happen. Would he be an ideologue with a UE or just a G on the end? That's the big <laughs> question. <laughs> I think uh, I think it would be. Can I, tell you, can I tell you another tidbit that has nothing to do with Catholicism, but is important? Yeah. That's, um, of course, that's what this show is all about. Why yeah, do you think that we? Why do you think that we pronounce ours on the end of our words in the West, West in, in North America? Do you have any, anyone have an idea? Ours at the end of our words. Like why don't why why did we go from saying things like you know computer to computer? They didn't have computers. Why do we say the er? Why do we pronounce it? We're making room for pirates. Is it, is it like against the French? You're, you're onto something. No, you're actually onto something, huh. uh, Jeremiah. So the reason yeah. why... See, I'm telling you. I'm, yeah, I, I knew it. It's intuitive, but I knew, well, we wouldn't have pirate movies, or we would, but it'd be the lamest sounding thing that's ever existed if we didn't have ours at the end. Well, the reason is, my my uh, my, my less uh, sophisticated English-speaking friends, is <laughs> um, most of England is oh. non-rhotic. So they don't pronounce ours, most of England, like 70% or so. In the north, they pronounce ours, but that's because there's the uh, the rolled R, okay? Um, so it's a, it's almost more of a consonant um, for, for and, and in the southwest, I believe, where Corn, the, the Cornish area is, they, it's, that's where pirates are from, generally speaking, and they do pronounce an R, and there are reasons for that. Yeah. The French-speaking part of England, they pronounce the ER like, you know, dansé, is to dance and they would say danza 
you know, that's just kind of a natural progression. But the seafaring peoples were the ones that made most of the trips, and it was the rhotic folks. And they took the cheap labor from the, the parts in the top where they had the rhotic folks. Um, so we got a rhotic English over here, which is why it happened naturally. But in certain parts of uh, northeastern United States, where the upper crust of the French background English folks would go, that's where you get the transatlantic accent, like William F. Buckley and Charles Coulomb. <laughs> yeah, but Buckley's <laughs> accent was kind of fake, man. Well, yeah, but that, that's where they learned yeah. the boarding school, yeah, yeah, yeah. The boarding school yeah. thing. But that's where it was like a holdover. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. I love this linguistic history. It's excellent. There you go. So yeah. if, if you did not know what uh, the the music in the beginning was, the sweet sounds of Vivaldi's Laetatu Sum. Uh, we're just going to talk about music every time because people often ask about the music. Uh, definitely one of my favorite Vivaldi's. Um, links are below for that. Um but this week is the 21st week after Pentecost, leading up to the great feast of Christ the King. Yeah, man. But, uh, oh, I got that wrong. We got two weeks still for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because Halloween and Christ the King are the same day this year, October 31st. Holy Eve. Eve, yeah. That's so, right. uh, yeah. It's and, a, that, and that's right. is yeah. against Reformation Sunday and for yeah. Christ the King. He's yeah. a risen, he's a risen. Oh, okay. The viewers, if viewers don't know, Jeremiah's youngest son is named Wolfgang Phoenix. No joke. Yeah. Of course yeah. he is. Yeah. The that's most manly name. name that's ever existed. <laughs> Wolfgang Phoenix. Yeah. Wolfgang Phoenix. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So Jeremiah's youngest son, he's he's one now. Is he one now? Yes. He yeah. turned one. Okay. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so Wolfgang Phoenix was born on October 31st this year. His birthday will coincide with. Christ the King, Halloween, and I don't know if the, the Protestants are celebrating their Reformation division crazy revolt on that day or not, but um, Christ the King, as I understand it, was instituted against Reformation Sunday in particular. That's why we have it on the last Sunday in October instead of the last Sunday of the liturgical year as it is in the new calendar. Um, so very, very great feast. We have some article co articles coming on 1 Peter 5. There's also a, a fantastic article on Tuesday, which we're really excited about it. The title of this article is Leo the 13th, the first liberal Pope who went beyond his authority. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who wrote that? Who wrote That's that? You, dude. Yes. I, I'm glad you see this. It's going to uh, blow people's yeah. minds because they don't understand what happened. Like nobody's ever heard the story. I, I knew the yes, story, but I didn't know all the story. And, and it's actually crazy. Yes. When you read more of what Leo the 13th did. And what yeah. was said at that time, it's it's exactly yeah, parallel to our own day. Wasn't he called a liberal a bunch? Well, yeah. And the other thing you got to understand about the 19th century, obviously, people, a liberal in the 19th century is not a liberal today. Also, but yeah. at the same time, there is a parallel. Go ahead. I'm going to... Um... Well, that's what we do at 1 Peter 5 is we try to ruffle the... We got to keep the trads a little bit ticked off so they keep coming back to the website. But, um, you know... <clears throat> When I spoke to Joseph Pierce about Chesterton, who obviously, in the sense we understand it, no one would call him a liberal. However, he identified in a, in a sense as a liberal. Yeah. But I talked to Pierce about it, and I was like, okay, I just did this this study on my show, Liberalism is a Sin, and I agree in the sense that the book puts it out. But then when I hear Chesterton talk about liberalism, it makes a lot of sense, whatever. Anyway, how do I reconcile these things? And Pierce, being eminently smart, <clears throat> just basically said, uh, and actually he has a rhotic English, um, in many parts of his speech. And he said, um, 
you know, you have to understand that um, there's a difference between the continental European understanding of liberalism is as a, as a, as a concise philosophy, whereas there's a, a difference in the Anglo-Saxon understanding as it's a, um, a disposition towards authority. And um, I think that was the right way to look at it. So I'm going to argue in this essay you want me to write, Tim, about why liberalism is a sin, that not all liberalism is the same, um, whereas you have the, uh, if you're a liberal living under the revolutionary government as a Catholic in England, your resistance to what you see as illicit uh, authority in certain cases is more of a defensive liberalism, whereas your uh, disposition as a, let's say, continental Frenchman who lives in a Catholic integralist society and wants to dismantle it, that's an offensive liberalism. And that's kind of the way I'm going to look at it. I'm glad you're doing this too, because back in the day, when I was a set of a contest, there were folks for realsies, man, who were like, oh, no, it goes all the way back to Leo. Leo Leo changed some serious junk. And there were websites back then that laid out the case that the whole set of a contest scheme began oh, with wow. Leo. And that's why huh. I've, I've mentioned it before. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> sure, they're, you know, like a super your, small your pope that ended yeah yeah at the end of the day and they're like oh no he changed like matrimony and other things like he really tinkered around with things and so th there was cases made and mm. i have it actually in a couple of my videos about it where i specifically mentioned i should go back and find what it was because i may have actually quoted this the page and if i did i'll find it i'll send it because it, it's hilarious <laughs> but, but they exist man so you're gonna you're gonna have those people pop up out of nowhere you didn't even know these people existed bro and you're gonna like you're throwing you're throwing crazy rocks at this hornet hornet's nest and oh buddy oh, yeah we also have a we also have an important anti sede article coming from Jeremiah I just haven't been looked at it you. but um, he hasn't we, looked at it yet he doesn't know he's like he's like he's saying it's I, important I, I, we're gonna we're gonna do it he's like I don't know man uh, I've been so I swamped I still don't have yeah. a oh no I just finished all the articles for this week so we've got yeah. this week done and then we'll okay. I because we have to deal with Halloween and the occult, which is a sensitive yeah. topic. Yeah. And uh, I got an article from none other than Anthony Abate. Once again, uh -huh. shout out to our, our favorite viewer at uh, a favorite American viewer because uh, there's not many American viewers at 5 a.m. on a Monday, no. except no. Anthony Abate, who represents the unit the US of A proudly. So we 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 love Anthony, but um I'm trying to balance a bunch of articles on the occult and the Halloween and stuff. I got extra, uh, um, uh, an exorcist writer, a writer who writes about exorcists. Anyways, fun, fun stuff is coming. Yes. Yeah. That, the very same. Uh, so fun, fun stuff is coming for Halloween and, and all, all sorts of things that go bump in the night next week. We're actually going to have, we'll have Luis, Luis Medina on. He'll be talking about Santa Muerte, Dia de los Muertos. We'll talk about Halloween, ghost stories, all sorts of, or sorts of fun stuff for Halloween coming up. I, I I don't mean to interrupt. This is really important. Breaking news. I just got this in on the wire. You were talking about, about whether or not Protestants are going to be partying and stuff and everything for the Reformation. I just got this in from the Protestant establishment. Um, they couldn't agree. And so none of them could agree, and they're it's not going to happen. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a couple of very traditional Lutherans that still think it's important. Uh, those will be doing that, but breaking news thought I'd let everybody know. They, they need to just read the Bible. <laughs> just read the Bible. That's all you have to do is read the Bible and they'll all unite, right? Well, that's when they were all screaming and then they all walked away in different directions with their different versions of the Bible doing this number. And so, as I said, you, you apparently a couple Lutherans will be doing it. 
Um, and they will have Lutheran priestesses, the Pastrix people outside with the LGBTQ stoles. They'll be protesting that. That's official. Okay. <laughs> yes. We're good. Yeah, Reformation Sunday. Reformation Sunday yeah. is the celebration uh, of forty-eight thousand popes. That's what yeah, oh yes. It's it's a celebration of, of <laughs> oh, uh, thousands that, and thousands of their own popes and their own magisteriums. Oh, guys, this isn't very is. ecumenical. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow. Um, <clears throat> so also coming up, oh. so we've had so much interest yeah. in talking about the Jews and Judaism on our, our patron only stream um, that we're, we're going to launch a whole series on that. It's going to be called Jews, Judaism, and Israel, the history of a people. So we're talking all about Jews and Judaism, their relationship with the faith, all sorts of history there, all sorts of spirituality, theology, um, crazy things happening and uh, going into all sorts of controversies. So part two, part three, actually, Part three will be this Thursday. I haven't decided, I forget out the time yet, probably 3 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so we'll be talking about the second temple period. So if you want that, that's the patron only. So patreon.com slash meaning of Catholic. Kennedy, what's happening with the Kennedy Hall profession this week? You're Actually, you have a very controversial thing coming. You want to announce that now or, or save that for later? What thing was that? Oh, okay. You don't want to announce it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I can't remember what was controversial. I've got so much of that. Yeah, coming. I was gonna say anytime anytime he talks into that, that oh, yeah, electro yeah, 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 boogie yeah, yeah. microphone, he's sorry, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yes, um, the vaccine yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna bring on um um uh standard advice here. We're not this is not uh, consult your doctor, listen to public health officials. This is not advice, YouTube, so relax. Um <clears throat> I'm gonna bring on my good friend. Uh, Father David Sherry, friend of the show, um, District Superior of Canada for the Society, and he's going to talk about clarifying the um, the uh, dust that's been that we're going to settle some of the unsettled uh, uh, problems for people who have read that Society article on the morality of, in certain circumstances, taking a certain vaccine and um, clearing up things like um, what does it actually mean. Um, how do we understand it? Is that the SSPX position? Turns out the society doesn't have a position. It's It has a Roman Catholic position. So that was just a, an opinion piece written by a priest trying to illuminate certain concepts for mainly Catholics in Europe, to be honest, who are in uh, very rough situations where they can't work at all in any job, for example, if they don't have a shot, yeah. whatever. So we're just going to talk about it and we're going to stick to the morals of, um, you know, listen, I write for LifeSite. I'm as anti this I'm as anti all the bad stuff as you can possibly imagine. Oh, that's why I make a living. Um, however, uh, Catholic moral theology is what it is. And there are um, there is a framework to look at this thing as there's a framework to look at all of these things. So let's just kind of go beyond the noise a little bit. And what is that? And and what does that mean? And, and what does graves cause and that sort of thing mean to, to ease people's um, anxiety on the issue? So we're going to talk about that and try not to tick absolutely everybody in the world off. Excellent. So that'll that'll yeah. be premiering next week. Well, next week sometime. We'll we'll, we'll figure uh, out this week. the SSPX yeah. and the vaccine. So that'll be that'll oh, be yeah. very. I should get some clickbait. We very need that. Good. We need that clown censor <laughs> well, noise for every not, time you guys clickbait. say the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, and you know what? It's more in fairness. Oh, no. In fairness, yeah. it's going to be about the more moral, uh, the moral questions. It's whatever you make your choice about whatever medicine you take, but what is the actual? 
moral question. Yes. Uh, yeah. Father David does not mess around. He's uh, no nonsense. Very smart. And so very smart. So that'll, yeah. that'll be a great show. <clears throat> and also, so paleocrat. Yeah. Uh, what's happening with the snake handlers this week? Snake handlers. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking snake handlers this week. We're going full honkler, dude. We're talking the Montanus. And so we're going to talk about them. In fact, it's a big deal. And I'm kind of sad, dude. I got to be wiping away tears. I know I'm actually going to get sad about it, actually. But this week is going to be the last week of the big yellow book. So I've gone through this book. It's a it's a 20 part series that I've done. I didn't plan it to be 20. It just happened to be that. Um, and so this book, Enthusiasm, uh, Monsignor Ronald Knox, a chapter in the history of religion. We have the Montanus. And after the Montanus, we've got Corinthian letters. And then it's over all mm. 20 episodes. And I'm going to I'm going to work on putting together uh, uh, the video series and cutting out a lot of the intro and the banter, the Q&A stuff at the beginning. So it'll just be as if they're like presentations, lectures right on each of these topics and put them together. I'll put even pictures and images of the various characters that we're talking about. I'll include those um, and other things and create that for people and even make it a podcast and, and order them structure them in such a way. But that's, that'll be the end of that. And after, after that uh, I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to do a series and I, I will do this. I, I may do it for Patreon because I kind of want to go in a, a little bit of a different direction, but the people have spoken. <laughs> so they wanted me to do, the manual for young men, uh, for young boys and young oh, girls awesome. by Father Lassance. And so gonna awesome. I'm going to go through that and which will be more parenting oriented. Right. But also uh, admonitions for adults. I think that's those are books and manuals that people could take with them their whole lives. And so uh, that's what's that's what's going to go on with that. But I had a good week, though. And I want to say real quick. Kennedy, thank you, man, for allowing me to fill in for you. It was a oh, it's fun. big, big shoes to fill. And no, nobody can do it. Nobody can need, do it. I need you back soon. I need you both of you soon, actually. Yeah, well, I, I was an honor. It was awesome to get to meet and speak with with all those people. And I had a I had a total blast. I've got behind the scenes footage that I shared on the last episode. <laughs> okay. um, even at the end of me taking my coat off and stuff drenched in sweat. I'm like, man, dude, this is <laughs> this is this is a, a big, a big work here doing this. But it was awesome. Uh, just a real privilege. And I wanted to thank, of course, Michael Lofton. Uh, this past week, I was on his show. It's the first time uh, that I've even talked with him, really. And so it was a, an exceptionally good time. It's done really well comparatively for the videos on his channel. I think it's like like 1,400, 1,500 views right now. Um, and it was a, it was an exhilarating episode. We can put it that way. People were on the edge of their seats, apparently. And so a lot of people, a lot of great reactions and a lot of people reaching out. And I just want to say thank you. Sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Check out Jeremiah over at uh, Reason and Theology. And we'll talk more ghost stories next week. Um, one more question before we get into our main topic. Kennedy, do, do you have any place where people can send questions for you and Father David to address on the vaccine show? Uh, you know what? I didn't. Um, I didn't think about that. Um, well, I. You can just send them to meaningofcatholic.com slash contact. And also, Father Sherry did a catechism for our parish a couple a week ago, and there was like 80 of us, or 80 families tuned in, so there was a bunch of people listening. And he, they, everyone asked like all the questions, everything from 
basic to like what if there's nanobots like i mean everything right so um i think we have the the, the whole spectrum i'm just gonna just give them the opportunity to just answer all of them so if anyone has any specific but i i, I imagine we'll cover it cool yeah so and yeah. once again this is father david sherry of mm -hmm. he's the district superior of the sspx in canada and so he is going to be talking about moral theology and the vaccine uh, regarding the existing statements from the SSPX on the topic. Yeah. So if you have any questions for that, you can just send them to me and I'll make sure that Kennedy gets those. Meaningifcatholic.com slash contact. So reach out to us for that. So without any further banter from uh, all of us, uh let's get into this topic <clears throat> the topic we this is a continuation of what we talked about like two weeks ago i think or three weeks i don't know what it was we're talking about spiritualities in the church and this is really the context for the so-called great schism between east and west and it's also the context um for what happens with the protestant revolt too we're talking about the christ the king there's actually a par an interesting parallel that i never read before uh, between Christopher Christopher Dawson, as always, points these things out because he's the best. Uh, but there's a very interesting parallel between the Protestant revolt and the Greek schisms, plural, because by the year 1000, there was actually three different Greek schisms. So that by the time of the Protestant revolt, there were basically four different apostolic churches who were not in communion with one another. And so there's actually three different Greek schisms, and this is the way that we need to talk about this instead of the so-called Greek schism, which is just East and West. Uh, but we talked about like two weeks ago, the, um, <clears throat> this is research that, that came up when I was writing my book. And here's the, uh, the map made by Mrs. Flanders for the book, uh, which is the Christian peoples circa 600. And so you have the name of the peoples, and then you have the language of their cultists. And one of the most important things is to uh, reject the term Byzantine. That is an anachronistic term that was invented in the 1600s, 1700s in order to disparage the Greeks. But the Greeks always called themselves Roman. <clears throat> and why is this so important? Well, the reason it's so important is because of Greco-Roman civilization is basically the body that God brought about by divine providence. Greco-Roman civilization is the body. And then the Hebrew revelation is the soul, which creates Christendom. So Christendom is the logos of Greco-Roman Hebraic civilization transformed by logos incarnate. That's a mouthful. But it's absolutely critical that we understand Greco-Roman civilization. <clears throat> and Greco-Roman civilization was bilingual, trilingual. And what I mean by that is it was Latin and Greek. Everybody who was, uh, uh, by, by, especially by like the 200s, 300s, everybody who was an upper class, high class ranking Roman official who was educated would know Latin and Greek. And then he would also know a language, a local language as well, like a local spoken language. But Latin, this is absolutely critical for understanding what happens in the Greek schisms is that you need to know Latin and you need to know Greek. 
And Latin is the language of law and order, basically. Lat it's the it's where Roman law comes from in Latin. And the Latin mind is is primarily concerned with ordering disparate peoples into peace. And Latin never really developed the type of philosophical subtlety which exists in the Greek language. And so this is critical because what you have is as the Greco-Roman civilization breaks down and there gradually is, is Greek is lost in the West and Latin is lost in the East, you gradually have a stronger and stronger Greek mind, which, which overcomes the Latin mind in the East because the, they lose, they lose Latin in the East. And so what happens is they lose the Latin mind. And so law and order breaks down basically is that the Greeks start to fight each other. And this is why there's these three different Greek schisms. Whereas in the West, there is a, a there is a loss of Greek, but because the Latin mind, is, and so on the one hand, there's sort of an excess on the one hand where the Latin uh, can be excessive in terms of law and order. So you have certain popes who are kind of being excessive, arguably, on a historical level, we can say uh, Pope Martin. I don't understand. It was really funny because like everybody talks about 12, uh, you know, 1204, the sack of Constantinople or 1054, but they don't talk about Pope Martin IV. Pope Martin IV excommunicated Constantinople on false grounds and then called a crusade on false grounds against them. Talk about a... a <laughs> A problematic. So he was a wicked pope, and he was. Guys, he you're was, supposed. I was going to say you're supposed to do everything the pope says, though, guys. Everything, absolutely yeah. everything. Yeah, you always wrong. have to follow the pope 100. So this was in, this was in 1274. They'd actually healed the schism. Now I'm not talking. I mean, it was more complicated than that, but they de facto healed the schism. Right. So they had the Council of Leon, the first reunion council. And they say that St. Bonaventure actually won over the Greeks, which is really interesting because I've heard that <laughs> the two, the two reunion councils, um, because we talk about schools of thought here. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas was on his way to the council of Lyon to talk to the Greeks. And he was too Aristotelian. He would have alienated the Greeks. They would have been like, why are you so Aristotelian? That's so weird. And then, so two, Greek? <laughs> <laughs> and then two, he had a, he had a document called, Contra Errores Grecorum against the errors of the Greeks, which was filled. Now we know it was filled with spurious quotations that were not even. They were like fifty percent of them were actually fal false. Uh, the Dionysius, spurious. the, fake, the yeah. fake Dionysius. Well, he he's generally accepted as a father, even though he's, yeah, yeah. he's called by some as pseudo Dionysius today. Yeah. But he's still accepted as sort of an authority. But well, he was good. Anyway. I just mean was it was it that because the the debate the doubt right. wrote it. Yeah. So so but basically St. Thomas, if he would have been at Lyon, he probably I mean, as obviously we love St. Thomas, he's the angelic doctor, yeah. but he probably would not have won over the Greeks. And it probably wouldn't have worked out. But in God's providence, he actually died on the way to Lyon and St. Bonaventure was there instead. And they say that he won over the Greeks. But all of this was ruined by Pope Mart the Fourth. And it's at, at, who basically um, so Charles of Anjou, this is getting way ahead, but this is this is kind of like throwing a bone to the Greeks here because we're going to say some critical remarks for the Greeks. But here's an example of, of the Pope basically totally failing the whole thing, because 
Charles of Anjou, who was a wicked prince who was just trying. He just wanted to, you know, conquer. He, he didn't care about Christendom. And he, after the last papal conclave, he took over the conclave and forced them to elect a pope who would just do his bidding. And that pope was Pope Martin IV. And Pope Martin IV called false crusades on behalf of Charles and Andrew. And one of them was Charles and Andrew said, I really want to conquer Constantinople. So Pope Martin IV excommunicated Constantinople after they had just reunited and figured out everything so that Charles of Andrew could attack Constantinople. What a disaster for Christian unity right there. You should probably do an interfaith service, but um, <laughs> one of the uh, <laughs> one of the things that oh. is helpful. Uh, I just read the book. Everyone needs. I, I make no money off this book. I just read The Godmother by Father Charles Murr, and um, honestly, oh, the text is so great. It's one of the greatest books I've ever read. I, 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 uh, I've, I'm so happy I've gotten to know Father Murr a little bit. We've been chatting, and. Um, what a yeah what a gem that guy is like just an absolute legend of a priest his story uh so providential i i, I never knew much about pope pius the 12th um i came to i fell fell in love i guess you could say with pope pius the 12th reading that book i didn't know he was such a hero in so many ways obviously we can a microscope and certain things but it is what it is i mean if you do a microscope on my life i'm gonna look like an axe murderer compared to pius XII. so um you know he was an incredible pope and what a hero what an absolute hero during the second world war like just unbelievable like just the courage i mean oh yeah people don't know this this little story but he went out he wrote a personal letter to Churchill, Mussolini, Hitler, all the big leaders and said, if you if you start to bomb Rome, I will walk under the bombs. And so that way, everyone will know that you murdered the Pope. <laughs> like, it's the most insane. So he did. He walked out. He didn't get hit, um, but he became famous around the city for his blood soaked white cassock because he was helping people as Rome was shaking and, and being destroyed. So anyway, an amazing man, amazing man. Um, but one of the things that... Uh, Charles Father Murr has made clear is you know he spent such a providential formation in Rome with all these amazing cardinals as friends and just a young guy just being picked up by them for whatever reason and he learned how the sausage was made in Rome you know and um he said listen uh Rome has had problems since you know he goes over the apostles he says on the night of the passion they're basically arguing who's the best <laughs> you know amongst the apostles and he said that's been there since day one and it's always going to be there in a way and that's what Christ showed us for a reason and and it made me think, you know, <clears throat> we understand that in the Old Testament that the, the that it's the true faith. Okay, there's the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, and the Old Testament. It's valid, and um, and there's a lot of problems in Israel, you know, and it's been that way ever since the human being uh, gets involved, and then there's issues. So um, when we look back at the Crusades, there's this propensity to want to explain away all the errors of the Latin, or want to or want to overemphasize the errors of the Greeks and vice versa back and forth who don't do it. If it's an error, it's an error. If it's not, it's not. And, um, it's just history. It's, it's, it, it, it you know, it's, it's why I'm not going to explain away, uh, St. Peter's, you know, uh, veritable apostasy on the night of the passion, you know, denying his Lord three times. I mean, that's, that's almost an act of apostasy in a sense. And then he comes back and then he's St. Peter. So it is what it is. The church has been filled with that and there's no reason to, to, to shy away from the truth about it. That yeah. whole scene, yeah. that whole scene you talk about, man, about the Pope going out there, right, and saying, "I'm gonna, I'm willing oh, yeah. to stand under the bombs." It reminds me of the scene in Lord of the World, right, by Robert Hugh Benson, 
where the Pope walks out there, you know, and I don't, I don't want to give away the ending. <laughs> I don't want to give it away because it's so, it's so powerful. It's, it's, it's so amazing. Um, and, but it just, it reminded me of that, that, you know, that, that moment where the, the Pope is walking out into Megiddo and just, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that was, what, what a powerful story. What That's a powerful a image. Too. What an awesome Pope. Yeah. yeah a totally. Great yeah. Yeah. Pius the 12th is awesome. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, that, that, that text is so great. I love it so much because he just kind of, once again, the Godmother. it's called the Godmother. It's written by Charles Murr. He's a, he's a priest. Um, and, uh, yes, I know him as well. It's a great, great man. And, uh, what I love about that is they just talk about all about the crisis in the church and everything and, and Freemasons and everything. And they do it kind of, <laughs> it's, it's such an enjoyable book. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a pleasant book where it really makes you laugh. It makes yeah. you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you hopeful. It's a wonderful, wonderful text. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wonderful. But, um, GGLM LTMP. Nice has made the final declaration. True said is claim that all popes from Martin the fourth are illegitimate. Yeah. Go. Excellent. Final. There hasn't been a Pope since 1277. That's and breaking news, dude. That's another <laughs> on the wire. Yeah. We got this right now. Dude, dude, breaking dude, dude, news. Dude. Yeah. Breaking, breaking news. news. The Saturday magisterium. <laughs> one. Maybe yeah, since so over, over the comfort in. <laughs> so uh, yeah, over the comfort in. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh. So, so basically, l- let me let me back up here. Um, so, so Martin the Fourth. This that was a, a foreshadow into uh, things to come. Basically, so what happens here is the Greek schisms. Oh, I just made it me. Let's see. Uh, all about you, Tim. It's shame. all about you, buddy. Okay, here. We're, oh, that's <laughs> what I got. Okay. Yeah. So we go. we've got these different Greek schools. So what happens here is. As long as we have a Greco-Roman civilization with Latin and Greek, with the Latin mind and the Greek mind both balancing each other, then they can incorporate all these different peoples into one church because it allows these different speak speakers of different languages. But more importantly, we talked about the spiritualities last time, <clears throat> but we're this time we'll talk about the different catechetical schools of thought so in this case there are two major catechetical schools of thought which also are related to the jewish communities in those regions so we'll talk about that on our jewish show um and there's antioch antioch's up here um this is where and this antioch's up here and then there's alexandria down here those are the two big schools and they develop two different Thought, thought patterns in terms of their catechetics because we're talking about the divine mysteries given to us in the deposit of faith and then we have different ways to look at those things different ways to catechize those things and a big part of this is the difference between plato and aristotle which is the the two main greek realistic traditional thinkers uh in terms of classical philosophy and plato his frame of reference is the subjective the they basically to, to boil it down that you start in the subjective you start at the subjective inside yourself and you think about the logos and the reality of things and you think about justice and mercy and uh goodness and truth and beauty and you think about those things and you think about them and you come to a realization of the of the the 
absolute objective truth. Mm -hmm. That's a platonic way of doing things. So you start in the subjective, whereas the Aristotelian frame of reference is very much focused on, let's look at this plant right in front of me. And let's think about the fact that this plant is growing out of the ground. And so it must have uh, an inherent nature, which causes it to grow in a certain way, in a certain logos. So we're coming to the objective truth from looking at something outside of yourself right in front of you. And that, so that's kind of a, starting from an objective standpoint outside of you, as opposed to a subjective standpoint. So it's kind of starting from different frames of view, frames of reference, and then reaching the same objective truth, the same real truth that's real that everyone can access. Hmm. This dichotomy between the subjective and the objective is very much, those are kind of the, it's kind of the two schools of, of philosophical thought right there. And so the thing is that there's very much a dichotomy between the Antiochian school and the Alexandrian school in this sense, where the, Al the Alexandrian school is far more platonic. So think origin. If you know origin, origin is very platonic. He's very allegorical. Reading the scriptures in all of these allegories and uh, these deep things and all sorts of different things like that in Alexandrian school. And then the Antiochian school is far more Aristotelian in terms of this is just we're just going to read the scriptures. We're going to think about it, what it, what it really literally says. What's the literal truth about this historical truth about what's happening in front of you in this passage of the scriptures? And we're going to be really kind of down to earth in that sense. And what happens is they develop different terminologies to describe the same mysteries. And this is the key point. And they're different terminologies in Greek. Because as we said, Greek has the, the linguistic capability of a, all sorts of philosophical subtleties. And so this is where we get the big controversy over the homoousion. So the homoousion is the term ousia is being used in a in an Alexandrian sense. The term ousia in an Alexandrian sense is talking about a platonic form type of idea of substance. Mm -hmm. So platonic form is up in the clouds and in the mystic mystical cave of Plato. So we can we can talk about that in terms of the Trinity because uh, you know, this is this is divine mystery in terms of a Platonic sense. But if you take the word usia in Antioch, their usia is more of like an Aristotelian usia. Like this is a plant. This is a plant, bro. You can't talk talk about the Trinity. This is a plant. An usia is a nature right in front of you. It's a substance. Hmm. Uh, you know, a substance is something that's concrete. You can't you can't bring God down to this concrete. That's that's an abuse of God, basically. Like so, the Antiochians are thinking. Wow, this this usia, this term usia is totally out of whack. This is going to lead to heresy. It's totally wrong. But what's interesting here is this this debate, which arises in the fourth century Arian crisis. So we have all these heretics who want to deny that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's really God and man. But what's interesting is that Saint Athanasius, he's an Alexandrian. So he champions this homoousion, but he actually has orthodox opponents. So these, these men are actually people who oppose the Nicene Creed because they're from a different catechetical school of thought. Notably, St. Basil the Great was among them in his early days who opposed the Nicene Creed because 
he was from Cappadocia. He was from a different region, which had a different catechetical school, different thoughts and, and ways of expressing the same idea. And they rejected the term usia because this term, as I said, that, that in a different school of thought means a different thing. So this is the main distinction here is between words and their meaning. Words and their meaning. Now, yeah. and this is the key thing right here. When we talk about schism, schism is a sin against charity. So a schismatic is someone who does not have love for his brethren mm -hmm. and is not able to work out something as simple as the difference between a term and their meaning. Um, but when we're talking about these wicked heretics who are, who are <laughs> you know, uh, hunting you down and, and throwing you out of your churches and you're, you're holding tenaciously to your tradition, um, well, you're holding to the tradition of your father because it's not just it's just a, not just a matter of a philosophical debate. It's also a matter of what was passed down to us from our fathers, because our fathers are the ones who passed down these terms. So we need to hold to what our fathers passed down to us. So that's the also the difficulty is that we have the Antiochians re rejecting the Usia because they're holding to what their fathers taught them. And so it's not so. But the only way to resolve this is through charity, truth and charity. And St. Athanasius is the one to do it because what happens is um, there's this critical moment in the Arian crisis in 361 where they've been fighting over the Helmousian for years. <clears throat> and what happens is St. Athanasius, he takes the opportunity not to actually uh Beat it, beat the homoousia, uh, beat it over the head of, of, of his brethren. He actually brings them together and wins them over by discussing it and explaining what they mean by the homoousian. So he he wins over these orthodox parties. And here's here's the key text from uh, Saint Athanasius De Synodis, chapter forty one. He says this: We discuss the matter with them as brothers with brothers who mean what we mean and dispute only about the word. And so because he's able to resolve this through charity, there's no schism because you could have a schism based on uh, a lack of charity, but he actually resolves this with Greeks speaking to Greeks. And he does it by resolving the distinction between a word and what that word means. Yeah. And this is what is confirmed by Rome later. And this is, this is really the only way to resolve these things. And this is what allows these different schools of thoughts to reconcile. So uh, I'll, I'll just say this for a minute. Y'all can tell me any of your thoughts on this so far, um, because the, the first council is very much Alexandrian. The second ecumenical council is Antiochian. The third goes back to Alexandria. The fourth goes back to Antioch. But by that time, there's so much bad blood between these two schools that they're killing each other. Literally, we've got mobs. We've got mobs breaking in and killing bishops and going insane. There's so much bad blood that the fifth ecumenical council is the result of the emperor trying to impose a compromise. And then the sixth one is the exact same thing. The emperor is trying to impose a compromise with truth to resolve this problem. And it never really gets resolved. And this is what this is the origin of these three different Greek schisms. Um, but the model is already given by St. Athanasius in 361 to be able to resolve these terminologies. So. Kennedy, do you have any thoughts on that? You're, you're hmm. amening everything I'm saying. Uh, I don't know if you are. Well, no, it just it comes back to the 
it comes back to the uh, necessity for the parties involved to understand what the other person means when they use a certain word. Um, that's what so much of stuff in church history. It reminds me of the conflict between East and West when it, when the Eastern Catholics talk about energies, um, where I remember reading a, uh, actually it was when you and I, Tim, met uh, electronically. We've never met in person because the COVID curtain has, has divided us, um, even though we're a four-hour drive from each other. But um, uh, I, I sent you something, a really good resource. It was called Rosary to the Interior. It was a pretty good resource, but the guy in it was like a tome. The guy who wrote it was a Thomist to the extreme in the sense of he was... No salvation outside Thomas. Well, and he was like, I remember reading it, he was basically saying how um, St. Bonaventure was basically a pantheist. And I'm thinking, what on... Anyway, this is nonsense. Um, Father Isaac would, would not agree. But um, he, was, he was going after this idea that it's been corrupted since they accepted the word energies. And then you pointed out to me how that had been worked out as, as a, you know, doesn't mean energies in the new age sense. And that's long worked out. But it's when the two sides can't understand what the other side means by the word mm -hmm. itself. And it becomes, uh, you know, you, just, you argue in a, in a uh, echo chamber where you're using a false definition or a, or a false sense of a word that's used by another party. And it's a similar thing with the word liberalism which I you know we'll be writing about later and and the same thing happens where um you realize that both parties agree on the actual error as defined by the church and if they actually get together and talk about it they do agree on that but then they disagree on how they use words to describe the error or how they look at it and and those things are technically debatable but um they can't make the distinctions and that happens today in in in, in especially in traditional catholicism a lot with words like schism for example um and that's it's it seems to be a perennial issue. Yeah, ultimately the the magisterium, there's there's the this is the the tradition because we got the tradition, the deposit of faith, and then we have these different traditions of terminology, which are all passed down. And everyone wants to hold to their fathers, but then what happens? What happens when the fathers actually disagree on yeah. terminology? And we didn't even talk about ecclesiology because the fathers, the church fathers, disagree on terminology and ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. This is the this is the difficulty with resolving the great schism and these different schisms. So you do need to have a you need to have the tradition and the scripture, obviously. But there's also there needs to be this framework like the Council of Nicaea, like the Ecumenical Council, <clears throat> to hammer out and define what terms are we going to use. Then we're going to have to choose at some point which terms to use, decide what they mean, so that all parties can confess one faith. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a reason not only for the the councils but also for the pope. You know, like that we have we have a situation where even the fathers, because it's easy for people to go and say, "Well, look, I have this this long list of quotes from the fathers." The Jansenists did it. That was part of their brief was that they had tons of quotes from the fathers that emphasized their point. Um, but people could bring up and say, well, but this father said that. And you, and even the two schools you mentioned, people from Antioch, they would say, well, look, Chrysostom, bro, like, this isn't a joke. <laughs> like you could, you could point out some big names, same thing with Alexandria, you know, they could, they could point to big names. And so, you know, is it for no better choice of terms, it turns into a kind of church father pissing match, right? Like whose church father is going to Trump whose church father. Um, and what do you do? when worlds collide. And so you have to have that structure wherein differences like that are gonna, gonna be able to be resolved, even on even on definitional matters, like just simple words saying, 
you know, the way that this was understood and developed, especially in a time where communication was way harder, you know, where you don't have that availability. You couldn't say, well, go look up on Google. It's right there. <laughs> you know, like they're developing on its own. And as far as their social imaginary is concerned, the way that they're viewing the world, that's it, you know? And, and so when someone rolls in and says, no, it's actually this, they're like, whoa, wait a second. That's way outside my Overton window here. I don't understand what that is. So you have these two things collide. And it's one of the reasons why you have the grand Overton window um, of the papacy and the councils and says that that settles the score on that and says something is in and some things are out that this is properly defined. This is improperly defined. And, you know, all of your arguments or quotations, notwithstanding, this is the end of the day. Yeah. And so we don't have time to get into all, all the other intricacies, uh, but that, that, that was, that was the big point for me when I was Eastern Orthodox, when I read this text from Fortescue, which he said, you need to have a living authority to resolve your, your problems because he was talking to Anglicans, which yeah. is a similar thing to Eastern Orthodox. And he was saying, well, uh, if you have the fathers or the consensus of the fathers as your other rule of faith, obviously you have the scripture and tradition, but then how do you interpret that? Well, we have the rule of the fathers is the, it's the Anglican answer. If you're a high Anglican or the Eastern Orthodox answer, but the problem is he, he says, well, this is, this is even worse than sola scriptura because then you, you, you don't just have the, the Bible and all those words, but then you have, uh, hundreds and hundreds of works from the fathers to sift through. Well, then who's going to interpret those? Um, yeah. Because the fathers, I, I counted it up. I counted five different ecclesiologies among the church fathers in the first millennium. Five. One, the most common is the Petrine authority of the local bishop. So we talk about many, many fathers talk about the Catholic church, meaning that the Catholic church in the city of Antioch, meaning the bishop and his church. Like they call that is the Catholic church and meaning that, so that it's like a Eucharistic ecclesiology, whichever bishop is Orthodox and is celebrating the Eucharist, that's the Catholic church right there. So that, that whole thing is the church, the full church right there. So that's the Petrine authority of every local bishop. So every local bishop has a Petrine authority. Um, would it, would Ignatius of Antioch, I, I don't know the answer to this, is, would Ignatius of Antioch seem to smack that a little bit where... Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and Saint Cyprian also talks about this too when he's disputing actually with the other Petrine uh, primacy that we've heard about, which is that namely Rome, because he, Saint Cyprian comes from this school of thought and goes against Pope Saint Stephen, who has the Roman Petrine primacy, which is the second a second ecclesiology among the fathers, and then there's a third ecclesiology among the fathers, which is the Petrine trifecta between Rome. Antioch and Alexandria. They also, all three of those have Petrine authority as well, which was confirmed by Council of Nicaea. And then number four is the sacred emperor, who's the, the Roman emperor of New Rome, Constantinople. And he is styled the Pontifex Maximus. So the big, the really, the big, huge question that underlies the history of the first millennium is actually who is the Pontifex Maximus? Meaning who is the high priest? Is it the emperor or is it the pope? That's the big question. That's this is what I talk about in my book. It's I'm surprised this is never discussed because this is the Pontifex Maximus is is the pagan high priest that the priesthood that Caesar Augustus had, 
And so he had, so the, the Roman emperors of Constantinople, the so-called Byzantine emperors, they actually had rights to their own Pontifex Maximus, to their own priesthood into the 10th century. So they, they were still thinking of themselves as priests. So there's some sort of priesthood. Now, uh, all of these ecclesiologies are true in some sense. That's what's so difficult about this, because there is a sacred emperor. The Roman emperor does have a yeah. form of priesthood. It's not sacerdotal. It's not obviously an ordination, but there is a certain sacred role that he has to play in Christendom. Yeah. But ultimately, in terms of the priesthood, in terms of the doctrine, the Pope has the higher authority on that on that score. But but then that leads to a fifth ecclesiology, namely the the so-called Pentarchy, which is yeah, the yeah. five C's: yeah. Rome, uh, New Rome, Old Rome, uh, New Rome, Constantinople, and then Antioch, Alexandria, and Jerusalem. So that's a fifth ecclesiology. So we, among the fathers, we've got five different ecclesiologies to try to resolve. How do we resolve this? Well, that, that's the question, and 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 I will I will. Which one does Pope Michael have though? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Is he the sixth. Pope, Pope Michael. That's Pope the Michael sixth is, school of thought. Yes, yeah. Pope Michael is yeah. is is a, a current anti-pope. Is he still alive? Yeah. He's a current anti-pope. He is still alive, man. If, if people don't know who Pope Michael is, he is. He calls himself the Pope in his in his basement or whatever. Uh, I I have so. to find my interview with that guy. I interviewed him. Yeah, Jeremiah for, interviewed for Pope hour. Michael. But I was a former set of a contest, but I was at, the, at that time an atheist, but I was respecting him. And I was like, look, I'm not, I could, you know, it's easy to throw a dude like that under the bus, right? Like <laughs> you could just have yeah. a heyday with this thing. But I said, he just came out with his documentary. It's like Napoleon dynamite, but it's kind of a true to form real life thing going on with him. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk to him about it. And but he's still kicking it, dude. He's in fact, I think he's still got that. Uh, if you want to find the real one, if I remember correctly, he still has the profile picture. It's really adorable with him in the 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 uh, papal garment there, and he's petting a little kitten and stuff. And so, yeah, you can follow. You can follow him. It's he, like it's like the. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I hate to laugh at him so much, but yeah. I, unfortunately, if it's it's risable. It's risable. We have to. You're a papal biographer. We have to laugh at yeah. what's ridiculous because it's ridiculous, and and we hope that Pope Michael repents and comes back to the church. Well, so. he's the reductio ad absurdum, I think, for a lot of this stuff. But like the, uh, you bring up the point though about how do how do you resolve this? You got legitimate schools of thought. You've got legitimate quotes from various saints that we we refer to as saints. They're fathers of the church. They were instrumental in the development of so many things. What do you do? And it and how it doesn't help when you simply add them to the list mm -hmm. and you, you see this sometimes with the set of a contest where it's like, you know, they'll, they'll cr criticize Sola Scriptura, but then they just add extra books to the list of things that they have their private <laughs> interpretations with. And they, those are encyclicals or papal bulls. And they just add to that, that canon and then say, it's still, it's still the verms in the brain thing. It's still, you know, me and me and my Bible and the Holy ghost and my interpretation. <clears throat> You see this everywhere in a, I know we have to leave in a couple minutes here, but um, there's certain podcasts and stuff I just can't stand to watch or listen to anymore. Um, because sometimes you'll even find, I'm not going to mention them, I'm not, but I'm just saying there's yeah. a general spirit amongst, let's say, the podcasting world where um, 
there's almost this 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 idea of defending the church against the trads <laughs> uh, because all the trads have their private judgment and you know private judgment in one encyclical that had to do with marriage but had nothing to do with scripture um, by I think Pius XI uh, is bad and I'm thinking you just made a private judgment about all the you know you just made a private judgment about what yeah. those it's just it's just everyone needs to um, you know this is one of the reasons why I'm softer on the Orthodox in many ways just because um you know i have some orthodox friends and when we talk about the papacy which is very rare because it's just like it doesn't come up or whatever but um when they when they say what they don't believe they don't believe in something that doesn't exist you know like they 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 reject something that they've been told is the papacy their whole lives mm -hmm. and they sort of reject an, a non-existent thing so i just kind of shrug my shoulders and it's like they reject you know, martin v or martin the fourth or, or, they <laughs> or they reject one of these or they reject one yeah. of these five um you know, one of these, or, or they accept one of these five, like they'll say, oh yeah, Pope is Peter. It's great. He's Peter. You know, he's the first among equals or whatever. And, uh, and they believe that. And they said, and so they just, they don't make that leap. And I'm like, well, you don't reject, you're not rejecting the Holy See the way I understand it. Cause you don't even understand it the way that I do. So I don't know. I just, I sort of shrug yeah. my shoulders yeah. and I go, eh, hopefully you die with your sacraments and that's all I can hope for. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 We didn't really have time to get into further. Um, cause I, I forgive me cause I probably offended all the Eastern Orthodox who might watch this video. Cause I was trying, I, I wanted to make a strong distinction <laughs> between gr Greek schismatics on the one hand and all the Eastern Orthodox on the other, because I don't mm -hmm. think that they're, they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. Some, some, some Greeks, some Orthodox are quite schismatic in their mentality. I think. Yeah. But many are not, and most not are not, probably. Yeah. Um, but this schism has been perpetuated by schismatic men on both sides in the sense that they lack charity. Yes. Because they lack charity, they did things like Martin the Fourth did, or like you know, Carlarius, or we didn't talk about people in the east, but they just lacked what Saint Athanasius did in that that period in 361 to resolve this. And this is this is why we have all this bad blood and all this problem. So but yeah. we'll we'll continue that story another time. So speaking it real quick, man. Oh, speaking of speaking of bad blood, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I gotta say it before we go. Speaking of bad blood, I'm gonna it will it will not end this evening. I'm part of an Exodus 90 group with a bunch oh. of these uh Ukrainian Catholic and Eastern Catholic dudes up in Canada. Oh, um nice. with with by the way, our buddy yeah, over there at this byzantinelife.com, uh mm -hmm. Lyndon Pretty. And dude, we are going, I'm gonna hear it's not going to stop about Tim and his, and his whole thing with Byzantine, not being a legit thing. They're going to be like, man, we got to have a debate with this guy. You know, he's coming against the word. He's like, I can't change my.com. <laughs> you're, you're killing him over there. So I wanted to just oh, yeah, give him I mean, a shout out. Yeah. Cause I, cause we oh, sure, him. sure. I mean, and yeah. It, yeah. I, I, yeah. Catholic there's Byzantine Catholics, obviously the, the whole Byzantine seminary says Byzantine. So I, 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 yeah. I mean, the word has been established. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with, I mean, using it, obviously, but the, I think that when we use it too much, when we talk about the, the historical debate, I think it obscures the uh, the reality of the fact that the, the Eastern so-called Byzantines were Romans and they called themselves Romans. And that's a critical part of the debate. But I mean, the term has been used by, I mean, Christopher Dawson uses it. So if End Christopher Dawson does anything, I say anybody right. can do that. So End of the day, Tim's just anti-Canadian. Who, who am I? Oh, yeah, that's, that, that is yeah. ultimately... <laughs> That's ultimately yeah. what I've been trying to say all along is that <laughs> Canada must schism, be invaded. <laughs> <laughs> there probably will be one, let's be honest. Canada's in schism them. from the United States ever since 1812. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
All right, let's oh. let's 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 say a, a pater noster for this this wonderful week. Stay tuned for all the good stuff to come. Uh, we've got the the show on Jews and Judaism for patrons. We've got uh, things that go bump in the night with Jeremiah <laughs> and the the big yellow book, and also important series. and And Kennedy Hall will have a very controversial seri- uh, show about you know what next mm-hmm. week. So stay tuned for all that. Let's have a pater noster. Uh, God bless our our 21st week after Pentecost and uh, let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling in nomine patris fili et spiritu sancti. Amen. Pater noster qui es in celis sancti vicetur nomen tuum adveniat regnum tuum fiat voluntas tua sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie. Amen. Nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Jesus is King.